Welcome back to Two Real Witches. Hello and blessed be. I'm Oak. And I'm Danny, and we're a couple of witches walking the path of Gardnery and Wicca. Every full moon and new moon, we're discussing things we're learning and researching, sharing magical discourse, and hold space for other witches to do the same. We're two real witches, shooting the shit and nerding out on magical topics. So if you're into the occult, the esoteric, or the otherworldly, come hang out with us in the liminal space of sound. In this episode, we are sparking conversation about in bulk and intoning the meaning of the ritual bell. But before we jump in, what you up to? Oak, what's going on with you? Anything new since last time? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're getting closer to my wedding. So that's coming up and I'm fully compartmentalizing um, all of that information from my normal work day uh, to deal with the stress. No, I mean, I, I um, not honestly too much. I think we've done a lot of ritual work recently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which is great. Get to hang out with Danny and the rest mm-hmm. of the coven. But um, yeah, lots of work, man. Um, I'm excited about, you know, this weekend because I get to spend a whole day in my ritual room. Um, and oh, yeah. I didn't know we were calling it that, but that is brilliant. That's what... That's what my partner calls it. But I love it. I, I have also called it ritual space or my temple room, but it just always ends up being called my ritual room, which I think is funny because it sounds like a speech impediment. And I love it. <laughs> and I think that makes it better, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the stars are positioned in a place that just makes work insane right now. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly channeling that. How about you? What are you up to? Um, I don't know what I'm not doing right now. Um, so I'm cranking through my classes. Actually, right after this, I have to put it together a whole presentation and uh, present for 10 minutes. It's going to be a good time. And then I've been spending some time um, actually picking up more fiction books. I really had gotten down. What? Into, I know. You, I, uh, I mean, is that part of the stack? It's uh, not. Danny's. Okay. Right. No, no, that that stack is just witchy books. Um, but I realized that I've like gone down this hole of like not reading for fun anymore. Like I'm just I'm just reading I, and not that reading witchy books isn't fun, but just I've just been reading so much for us nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I really want to just pick up some fiction books and get back to reading, pull some more things off my bookshelf that I like haven't read in a long time. So um, I opened up Mouse, M-A-U-S. Um have you ever read it? Mm-mm. I it's have a- only ever read self-help books, business books, and witchcraft books, to be totally frank. What? I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I have, I'm have. i just not a fiction reader. I'll start opening up and, and start to read and be like, yeah, I don't uh, – these aren't real people and I don't care about them. That's not- I know. I, I actually need to fixate on not real people so that I like stop – feeling like a people in this world that we're living in, I would like to just but live vicariously through others. That's what TV's for. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep them separated, as the mm-hmm. wise mm-hmm. offspring once said. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, I started um, reading Mouse, which has been sitting on my uh, bookshelf for a while, which is about um, a guy's like relationship to his dad who went through the Holocaust and um, – but he does it all in pictures where Jewish people are the mouse um, and then the German SS soldiers are the 
cats. And so um, it's all done in like um, cartoon style almost. So uh, my daughter wants to read it. So I was like, let me just read through it first, make sure there's not anything I'm going to need to like preface before you, you know, get into reading it. So, um, so I guess it's not really fiction, but it sort of is. Uh, keeping it real light over there, Danny. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, what else? What else? <laughs> um, I'm starting to feel a little more secure at work. I mean, things still feel bonkers and bananas like every day. Every day I'm like, what is this new crazy challenge I did not plan for? Mm-hmm. But um, I really feel like we've put the right people in the right places so that like I can just trust people to do their jobs. And if they don't know how to do the thing, they I trust them to come to me and say, I need help. So nice. we're getting better there. Um, I'm getting very excited for upcoming Beltane. Um, you and I are going to be hopefully meeting some more Gardenarians and getting together with some <gasps> other friends. So I can't very excited about this. So excited. Um, that is after the wedding. So I'm like, mm. I can't even think beyond the wedding. But that's yes, that's going to be so exciting. I am so excited because we've really just been kind of in this insular kind of community of just our group who knows other people within our like immediate group. And so it's been, it'll be really nice to kind of branch out a little bit. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I'm happy for us to start diving into the topics uh, right after we check in with the stars, if that works for you. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, let's see what the stars uh, have to say. Happy new moon in Aquarius, all. With the sun in Aquarius, the moon conjoins, coming as close as they ever do, with the earth not interfering in their conversation. So what's the topic? Great question. So glad you asked. It's all about Aquarian themes. Creativity, expression, not subscribing to the norm, the larger collective technology, and innovation are all potential subjects. How does their discussion play a role in your little mortal experience? Well, this all really depends on your rising sign. In that, when you know your rising sign, you also know your house placements. As an example, using the whole sign method of house assignments, these Aquarian topics are related to my fourth house of parents, caregivers, foundations, and home. And I can tell you, this is exactly where I need a fresh start, a clean slate, or maybe some moments of reflection to work with until the next full moon, which will be in Virgo on the 24th of February. Along with the sun and the moon, the old table flipper Pluto has moved into Aquarian territory and got all of the astrologers excited. Now Pluto will be in the sign for the next couple of decades, with only a couple of temporary regressions back into Capricorn later this year. Often we think of Pluto, the planet that takes the longest to orbit the sun, as a generational planet, meaning it may not be personal to an individual on the daily dealings of life, but more so can shift collective experience. With that said, if Pluto plays a larger role in your personal natal chart, then it could have a larger influence on you personally. But move over, because here comes Mercury, Mars, Venus, all in Aquarius. This place is going to be a hopping party with all kinds of interesting conversations happening. I'm not going to try to inventory all the possible conversations between these planets and luminaries, but I will say that when this party happens, we often see societal shifts. Think 1960s, Age of Aquarius vibes. 
But let's not only think globally. Let's also think locally. What does this mean for you? Which house is Aquarius located in your natal chart? This is going to give you that much needed heads up. Thanks for joining. And that's what I'm seeing in the stars. Until next time. So for today's topic, we're going to be covering in bulk and the bell. Um, so just a reminder, we'll be covering the eight Sabbaths and we will be reviewing eight ceremonial tools of Wicca. They're not the only tools, but they're the eight that we've kind of picked to correspond with um, those eight Sabbaths. So first we'll dig into the bell and all of this lovely, wonderful information that uh, Oak has put together for us. Ding dong. <laughs> so there's this um, reality television show. That's about makeup artists and it's set in the EU, right? And there's yes. like this famous mm -hmm. lady makeup artist and she goes, ding dong, when she's like trying to tell somebody they did a great job, which I just love. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so we're talking about bells. Uh, so just as like kind of an overview, we're going to have a definition here just to put a point of reference down. Um, we're going to say that they consist of a hollowed out vessel, um, often looking like an inverted cup. And they have this little dangling piece right inside uh, that's called a clapper or a uvula, which is just a fun word to say. Mm -hmm. And it would hit the inside walls in order to create like a ringing sound. So with this definition, this is a very narrow definition. Uh, things like chimes, gongs, really don't count. I think tuning forks you're a big fan of, right? Mm -hmm. I yeah. am. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going to fall within this definition, but mm -hmm. I think of course the effect of sound uh, vibrating metal is still on the table for us to talk about. Um, but with that, I would also say that we're generally thinking about bells of, as being made from metal or clay or even crystal, or maybe, I don't know, stone. I haven't seen any stone bells, but I guess maybe. Uh, but really anything that would be round, like a vessel that you would hit on the inside or the outside with a clapper kind of thing, or even I'm thinking sound bowls uh, fall within this category. Does that, is that okay for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's still a hollowed out vessel that you're using that striking hmm. gong. I think if it was flat, like a chime, then it might not fall in that same category, but, but that it's within a hollowed out vessel. I think it still falls under a bell. Yeah. So with that narrow definition, we will proceed. Uh, there has been archeological evidence uh, that bells have been around since the third millennia BC uh, or BCE <laughs> in Neo uh, lithic China. Um, you know, in my opinion, the bell is one of the most, underrated, I think, tools that we speak about least in uh, witchcraft and in Wiccan practices as a ritual tool, like a tool to use within ritual. So I'm excited to talk about it. I think it's an essential part of my ritual, so I'm happy to talk about it. And there is, of course, and maybe this is the reason that we don't think about bells so inherently connected to witchcraft, the way we would think of like a cauldron, right? Because Christians don't use cauldrons, or maybe they no, I would say they use a chalice. But yeah, so it's like their bells are used by so many different religious 
sex out there that, you know, a lot of them, there's a through line, right? That's about communicating uh, something, a message of some sort, and also uh, maybe connecting with other entities in the spiritual world. And so maybe because it's such a widely used tool, maybe it doesn't feel as exclusive to Wicca. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. Do you feel that way? I do. I I always find it interesting, though, that we don't like kind of fixate on it because of all of our tools, it's really the only one that ties in your sense of hearing, like your sense of sound, which is like crazy because so, so many others like tie in different parts of your senses. And so it's funny to me that it like kind of gets left out because it is really the only one that is tied to that sense. And um, that sense is so strong in our ability to um, you know, you hear that bell sound and it, you can clear out your mind. You can kind of lose mm-hmm. – like sound is so essential to me, which is why once upon a time I thought I was going to be an audiologist. And, which um, I had I, no idea until you told me. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah. So I, it's just so strange to me given like the way we talk about like ensnaring the senses, like really getting yourself involved that we like kind of graze over the sound one. I mean, I think we talk about sound, but usually we are talking about our own vessels. So mm-hmm. chanting or intonement, right? Um, but I do, I, I think like ritual drums are more connected uh, classically to witchcraft. Mm-hmm. But again, because, you know, the Christians aren't in, in their churches beating drums, uh, unless, you know, they're inspired by the Holy Ghost and in the South, maybe, I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the there's a lot of names for the bell because of this kind of widespread use. Um, my research showed that this is uh, the etymology is kind of middle English word for bell is like bellin, uh, maybe from the old English of balan, which is to bellow or to make a hollow noise or roar or a bark or a grunt, which I just love thinking about a bell making a grunt. Um, and maybe from the Proto-Germanic word of Balana, which is beautiful and should be the name of your next mm-hmm. child. And Not mine, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, but I think the, the general Balana, come on, that sounds great. That is a beautiful name. Yeah. It is a little similar to Bafana, so I don't know how I feel about that. But <laughs> Oh, I've never even heard Bafana, which is... Bafana, the... Um... Italian witch that's like corresponded with Christmas. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, then you should absolutely name your child Bologna. Um, <laughs> there is, speaking of Italian witches, this is a great segue. Uh, another kind of old fashioned word would be devil driver. Hey, that sounds cool. That sounds witchy. Let's not call it a bell anymore. Let's call it devil driver. Um, and of course, <laughs> Italian witches would use the bell to drive away quote unquote evil forces. Uh, I'm sure many people have heard of, you know, the witch's bell, which could be referencing just the bell used in ritual. Or we're also going to talk about some other uses of that and create kind of witch's bell language and definition that expands beyond just a bell used by a witch. Um, Toll, right? There's all kinds of like synonyms for bell out there. But I really love the idioms connected to bell, like rang his bell rang her bell. It's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. right? When somebody gets hit so hard by either physical force or by information, it just like rang their bell. Um, clear as right. a bell. Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I never realized that bell, book, and candle, right? That's like a movie, right? 
it's a name of a store in the Good Witch. Uh, so oh, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, it actually refers to the Latin Christian method of excommunication by anathema. Maybe that's how you say that, uh, which mm-hmm. is effectively someone really powerful cursing you and punishing you because you had created some kind of egregious sin. Uh, this was first introduced by Pope Zachary, mid 18th century. So, bell, book, and candle—that is what that's connected to. I had no—I had no idea. Oh, I didn't yeah. either. Okay. Yeah. The more you Learned know. Every day. <laughs> um, you know, of course. It, speaking about just you know Christians' use of bell, the actual bell, like ding dong, ding dong. Sure. Mm -hmm. That is a bell, but there's also kind of a separate instrument that uses the sound of bells called a carillon. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of high pitch percussive instrument. It's played with keyboards um, and it consists of 23 bells. So you press a single key and that coordinates to a bell. Usually they're cast in bronze and, um, you know, fixed. Um, But yeah, they create beautiful harmonies. But a lot of times people think church bells and they're thinking they're like, ding, dong, ding, dong, right? But it's yeah, that's actually a completely different instrument that I think you could argue is a type of bell, but you could also argue is an instrument onto itself. So Right. Sure. Yeah. 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 So types of materials that bells can be used uh, or created from. Glass, of course. A nice little ding dinner bell, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe clay and stone. Um, like, like I said, I've definitely seen a lot of clay bells, right? Almost looking mm-hmm. like a cowbell cast from clay, um, crystal bells, uh, you know, crystal bowls, or even just handheld bells made of crystals and really, you know, any metal can yeah. be used to create a bell, uh, how beautiful an aluminum bell would sound. I don't know, but it could happen. Yeah. 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 So some uses, There is, of course, many, many uses, and this is going to take up the majority of our conversation around bell. But I would also like to point out that beyond the whole spiritual uses that, you know, have spanned centuries, there's also a lot of mundane reasons to use bells that we see uh, in the uh, muggle world, if you will. Things like doorbells, right? Mm -hmm. It's a form of communication. A clock, Uh, having a bell, that's a form of communication telling you, hey, get up, it's time. Uh, little, you know, the bell you put on your cat's collar to make sure that they kill as least number of birds as possible so that they're like <laughs> scaring away the birds with their little, you know, sound. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, cowbell, I got a fever and the only thing that will cure it is more cowbell. All right, anyways. Um, but is, you know, so it's they're kind of more easily located and also one of my favorite morbid stories is the dead ringer story. You know about this, right? No, I don't. Oh, you really don't? Dead no, ringer? I really okay. don't. So you know the saying, that idiom of like, oof, this person yeah. was a dead ringer for that person. Well, back in the day when it was hard to tell if somebody was alive or not, because like apparently they didn't know about a heart and they would accidentally bury people alive. Is this the toe bell thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I did know about this. I didn't know. That's where that phrase comes mm-hmm. from. Yeah. Because you would think that you, that you buried somebody, you went to their funeral. Mm-hmm. They did, they rang it. They're like, Hey, wait, no, no, no. Just kidding. I'm alive. Ding dong. And, um, Oh, you're a ding dong. That's another idiom. I didn't think about 
Um, well, and there's another way to think about that, but, uh, but no, yeah. So you would think that you buried this person, your neighbor or whatever, and they would be, um, actually alive and they would come you know, back into the world through just being unburied. And uh, you would see them walking around and you'd be like, how this person's a dead ringer for that person. You're like, oh, wait, no, that just is that person that we accidentally buried alive. So, yeah. Fun. I mean, how quickly did they get to those people? Have you ever like, how quickly? No, I mean, there were people that hung out in cemeteries to prevent, you know, grave robbing. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe, hopefully they were well attended to, at yeah. least for the and first hopefully- couple of days. They weren't like woke up and they were paralyzed because I think they tied them to the toes. So like what if you woke up and realized you just couldn't move your toes, but you were very Uh, much alive? mm, Yeah. Unfortunate. Didn't think through that one, did they? Mm -mm, No. But you had like the (laughs) eyelashes because you'd open your eyes. I don't know. Something else. (laughs) Um, A very small bell tied to a very small string tied to your eyelashes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of mundane uses. Obviously, we're going to focus on more of the spiritual uses, ritual uses, things like that. Um, I would say primarily in my witchcraft, uh, a bell is used as kind of an indicator of a ritual beginning or ending. And um, which, again, triggers that kind of like ritual mindset. Uh, but it also can have a connection to the element of water, right? Because of sound waves uh, reverberating outwards from the original kind of source. Uh, but also it could be, you know, representative of air because that's where you hear, hear the sound, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is so many other like ways to integrate bells into ritual, such as the jingly anklets that people use while dancing around, you know? Do you remember mm-hmm. those from the 90s? Um, I very much do remember those because uh, I thought they were very cool and my mother would not let me have one. Yes. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they seem so cool, but they're so annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you could wear bells on your ankles. You could dance around ringing a bell to kind of um, pull up energy. Um, of course, you know, even the idea of ringing a bell in a mundane way, but for a ritual meal, right? So such as before a Sabbath meal, ringing a bell would be a mm-hmm. great way to indicate to both you, your ritual mind, and maybe to spirits uh, that you're about to feast. That could be an interesting way to use it. I would say the other way, other than just kind of indicating something has started, is the idea of cleansing mm-hmm. things out. The cleansing could be things in your body or things in your space or things in a tool, right? So this, the using the vibrations in order to cleanse is a classic use of a bell. Uh, there's also not really cleansing, but charging. So using vibrations to, um, uh, charge crystals or again, tools or any kind of metaphysical item, the idea that you're kind of storing up energy in this item that's going to serve as a battery, right? Uh, There is, of course, a million stories about people using bells on their doors. You know, there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of folk traditions of put it, you know, put a bell on your back door and it has to be three of them around the doorknob. You know, there's all kinds Mm -hmm. of, of um, folklore and, uh, instructions there. But I think generally that's to kind of ring in prosperity, or maybe it's for protection and banishment. I like to think about it as ringing in prosperity because one really mundane reason you put a bell on a door is to hear someone come in, right? Which let's mm-hmm. say for a business would mean money's coming in 
And that's how I right. like to think yeah. about it. We're not going to think about the idea of like, oh, well, the robbers are going to get signified by the bill, right? We're going to think about it the other <laughs> way, which is like, no, it's just money being drawn to us. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. I haven't gone into the world of fairy or fae folk. Uh, I'm not against it. I just haven't suspended my disbelief in that area yet. How about you? Right. Yeah. Same. Um, no, mine is more so that I have always been taught to leave them alone. So yeah. Okay. Right. Like, you know, that's my, my culture says, no, you didn't see them. Right. Like, oh, no, yes, you didn't. that's right. We and leave it alone. So yeah. So I just, yeah. I mean, I might, I might be scarred from like the early late nineties, early aughts, like fairy movements that were, you know, on bongs and weird like figurines and I don't know. But yeah, so I, I'm not, I don't know about fairies very much or about fey folk, but it is thought that they love bells. So in order to keep them happy and, and uh, appeased, you could ring them, uh, ring bells to keep them, uh, mi- keep their mischief kind of at bay. Of course, you can also think about the other way, which is if you ring iron bells, it is a way of protecting yourself and kind of shooing them mm-hmm. away. But I guess maybe the higher pitch, more pleasing sounds would be a way right. of like appeasing them. Um, it's also a way, of course, of kind of uh, focusing your mind. If you're engaging a sense, as you kind of talked about, of hearing, then it's a way of creating awareness and mindfulness of the now because you're experiencing that sense with your body, which is like a form of grounding. And then, of course, there's like a million things that we could talk around sound healing. Have you ever done like a sound healing bath or something like that? I have not. However, in August, a few girlfriends of mine are going to um, like have a girls weekend. But one of the activities on our schedule is a forest sound bath. And I'm morbidly curious. I have no idea what it's going to be. I just... I'm really excited for that, whatever that means. Is that just a fancy way of saying you're going to sit in the forest and listen? I don't – I have no idea because I don't know what I'm bathing in. Sound sound bath. I don't know. But we're going to find out. Maybe we'll touch back in August and we'll <laughs> do what actually happened. Yeah, I've but. definitely I've, – I've been to gong sound um, sessions. I don't know if that was really sound healing. Maybe sound healing. But, but sound mm-hmm. baths are definitely something within – you know, hippie communities, yoga communities that are quite common. So I've definitely been to a number of those events. And honestly, it always makes me cry. I, I, I don't know that everyone knows this, but every time I have anything spiritually happen that's small, anything small, any movement of energy in my body just triggers me crying, which is not a cute look and just really annoying for me. I don't know how to stop that. Hopefully I'll move past it. But yeah, try crying in the middle of a you know, yoga studio with a bunch of, you know, Kimberly's around you because you're feeling so moved. It's awkward. It's awkward, but it was, it's a lovely experience. I highly recommend it. Hopefully you won't cry like I do. Uh, But the idea with those, of course, is that as the kind of vibrational forces are emitted, uh, the idea is that everything's made of vibration. All matter is vibration. And there is, of course, an impact on matter when vibration moves through it, which it does with sound. And of course, there's this kind of like audible version where we can hear things, but there's also this kind of inaudible range that humans aren't sensing, but it can have an effect either way. Mm-hmm. So sound vibrations of like healing instruments, you know, there's all, <laughs> you'd be, if you have a scientific mindset when reading things and you're very skeptical, the way that often a lot of websites or 
experts talk about this that are not really experts, but they're like maybe well-crafted in, in that, that uh, particular like modality. The way that they talk about it is so woo-woo and it is just hard to digest. And it's like, um, yeah, it, I will say that anybody understands the impact of sound and movement and how it can be really deeply stimulating or it can be very relaxing. Of course, there's probably going to be some effect on like blood circulation, maybe tissue repair, things like that. Uh, you know, but I would need to see the studies to actually, you know, totally buy into it. But but I buy yeah. into it enough to, you know, go to the Try it out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do I own, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of sound bowls? Yes, I do. Do I judge it when people talk about it? I'll woo. Yes, I do. So <laughs> both things can be true. Well, it's just, it's cool as a concept, like to the study of sound, like um, this idea that everything has a um, frequency that it is most comfortable at. And to be at odds with that frequency is to be very destructive. So, and you can see this in physical format and things like bridges. So that bridge collapse that happened, oh, we did a whole project on it. And I can't remember what it, what the name of the bridge Okay, is, a bridge meaning like a physical... A physical bridge, okay. yeah, where the resonance of that bridge was not properly tested when they built it. And so when a certain number of cars of a certain frequency would be on it, it would, and this um, air would hit it at like a certain frequency, it would create a resonant frequency that was the same as the bridge, which would cause it to do this crazy <gasps> wobbling oh. thing. Um, and then eventually that became so destructive when it went from being in resonance to out of resonance that it caused the bridge to collapse. Wow. And so if you think about that in physical nature and like, okay, well, what other things have resonance? Literally everything, mm -hmm. literally everything, cells, all of that has a certain frequency and resonance that is both um, most advantageous for it, but also can become very destructive at other levels. And we can even see this physically with um, the cochlea in your ear has these little hair cells. It's what makes you hear. Mm -hmm. You can destroy those hair cells by listening to frequencies that are too loud, too high frequency, um, and then it becomes destructive to your hearing. So there's all of this like, you know, what is good for you? What is bad for you? What is, um, you know, maybe destructive, but helpfully destructive in the way that like burning a forest can sometimes help it grow, um, all of those kind of things. So it's really, it's really cool when you dive into the science part of sound mm -hmm. um, and then try to relate that back to physicality. Love that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah. And, and so like just categorically, I think talking about these frequencies would absolutely be kind of within the scope of bell, because usually when we're talking about bell, it's not about the rhythm of the bell, the way something that's like a drum would be more percussive. It has a lot more to do with the frequency. So mm -hmm. don't you love um, <clears throat> seeing those videos of when they like play different fre frequencies and how it displaces yes. the sand or the water and it makes all those different patterns? what mm -hmm. magic that is. Yeah. Uh, like on speakers and you can yes. see it like distinctly makes it. So, and I, you know, that's what people use a lot as like proof that there is um, divine design within mm -hmm. things, but um, it's very cool. But the other thing, like as a cautionary, uh, and we talked about this a lot when I was um, studying to be an audiologist, but the sound that you hear through speakers is never going to be the right hurts as what you hear in person. Um, so all of those things where people like listen to YouTube videos at a certain hertz, like all night long, you, I mean, you may get some perceived benefit from that, but you're not actually listening to that exact 
frequency oh, okay. because it's traveling through too many um, mediums and modalities to get to your ear. Um, then that's why things like in-person sound bath, in-person, that's why those things tend to be more effective for people is because you're getting an accurate frequency. Okay. So you've just justified my purchases is what I'm hearing. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. I love that for <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> there's lots of, of course, uh, other you know ways that bells are used, certainly within the Christian practices and faith, the ha- whole idea of bells ringing at a certain uh, like 9, 12, 3 o'clock in order, you know, for Catholics to recite the Lord's Prayer. That's quite normal. There's also, you know, there's a lot of roots in ancient Jewish traditions of ringing bells to trigger uh, prayer activity. Of course, there's a ton of bells at funerals um, and weddings. And so those big signifiers that is both communicating to the community what's happening, but is also serving as a signifier of beginning and end. So lots of beautiful ideas around why we would use bells. Spiritual meaning kind of transitioning into that topic. Um, There is, I would say, two major ways for us to look at the spiritual meaning of a bell. Uh, Outside of associations that I spoke about, right? It could be connected to water because of the vibration. It could be connected to air because of the medium in which it travels. It travels underwater too. So I don't know. You can debate both of those. But um, there's obviously some kind of symbolic meaning in the material. So as we talked about, like with Faye, maybe a bell made of bronze versus a bell made of iron. One could be about appeasing them and making Faye happy. And the other could be about you know, wanting to shoo them away. Um, so the meaning of the material can uh, change the meaning of, you know, the behavior itself. So there's a lot of interesting uh, ways to think about that. Do you have a, do you have bells at home? I do. I, but again, I don't, I don't use very many bells. Most of the bells I have at home are ones that are like tied to those doorknob mm-hmm. bells and all of that. Um, I use tuning forks. That's right. I have a whole set. Um, they're my, they're my jam. So um, you have to bring them to our next coven. I want you to do okay. it. I want you to do it to me. I want you to stick a fork <laughs> in me. <laughs> well, I would usually strike it on your heel, but absolutely. I'll, oh, I'll do okay. That for you. I've yeah. definitely seen people, you know, like take the tune fork and then like put it to like the mm-hmm. third eye forehead thing. And that seems very annoying to me. What? No, it's, it's amazing. Okay. Um, there's something okay. about the sound creating vibration that is actually felt that mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. Um, it's how you can actually stimulate um, people who maybe have damaged their hearing. You can put them up to the um, occipital, no, the bone in the back of your ear. That's, okay, um, yeah. And it can, it can bypass the cochlea and they can experience sound even if they have damaged hearing. And it's pretty – it's fascinating that your body can – um, experience vibration in such a way that you hear sound, even if you can't actually hear sound. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. I, you know, so the material pieces of course, you know, makes a difference in the different tones that are being created from Mm -hmm. the bell. Uh, the material matters very much. Um, the other kind of spiritual meaning is the shape of the object. Uh, I believe it was like Judica, I think Isles, Lyles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always say Judica Isles. Isles? Okay, great. Um, (laughs) She uh, is quoted to say, bells derive from an ancient sacred image of human genitalia, right? And the bells 
body represents the uvula and the clapper represents the penis. And she continues to say, uh, sometimes the bell's body represents the womb while the clapper represents the child within. I don't know. Feels like a stretch to me, Judica, but um, love that for you. I can definitely identify, however, the clear curvy shape uh, being connected to divine feminine energy, divine receptive energy, goddess energy. I can totally see that. I don't know about the the penis, vagina, uvula, clapper thing. I don't know about that, but but yeah, there's certainly imagery in uh, the shape. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I guess the last thing I would want to talk about is bell lore. Um, and I don't know, this is as important, but I want to talk about the... And, I guess there's no way to prove it. So I would categorize this as lore. There is a recording of this medieval magician's practice. um, And it's referred to as the necromantic bell of Gradius, if I'm saying that correctly. And uh, this was used to uh, summon up the dead and communicate with spirits. So very witchy and magical. Um, So it is said like in the 18th century, like French instructions, you can still see this, the documents. And if you speak French, you can probably read it. Uh, but it has uh, very specific instructions around how to actually create the bell. So it's supposed to be cast from an alloy of gold, silver, fixed mercury, tin, iron, and lead in the exact day and hour of the person's birth who's intended to use it. So like on your birthday, on the hour you were born, you have to forge this bell of these metals, right? And then after it's forged, you have to, is that what it's called? I don't know. Pouring metal. Is that forgery? I don't know. Uh, but casting, casting, that's it. Thank you. Um, and then once the bell is cast, uh, it's to be inscribed with various astrological symbols and, uh, words of power. So Adonai, Jesus, Tetra, Grammaton. Um, these are all, you know, words that were often used in medieval um, magical workings. And so you're supposed to inscribe them. And then as a way of curing it, quote unquote, the bell was supposed to be wrapped in green taffeta and placed in the middle of a grave in a cemetery. So for seven days, it would be absorbing all of the vibrations of the dead, right? And then it could be used in rituals. The bell would uh, sound and was said to resonate with the realm of the spirits and creates this kind of like bridge between the living and the dead. And because that connection exists, the necromancers could, you know, work beyond the veil, gaining knowledge and insights. So to me, I'm just like, I love this. If you haven't loved the bell before, you have to love it now. Yeah, but why why did no one make me a bell when I was born? Well, you don't have to make see, it when I've you're missed born. My opportunity. Okay. I was like, I, my opportunity is already missed. I already you messed up. You just have so. to cast it on your birthday. Okay. And I would say okay. when when the sun aligns back to the original place in which you were born on that same day and the same hour that you were born, you can make it. We could do this for you. The time has not passed. Oh my gosh. Okay. We need to we need to pick a very important birthday. And I, this is our new, this is going to be our new thing. I don't know if I can afford all of this silver metal, fixed mercury, tin, I mean, iron, how, lead How big combo? does this metal or does this bell have to be? Great point. Is it a big bell? It has Maybe to be large enough to inscribe things onto it. But Okay. I mean, I can write small. I just love the idea of casting a bell though. 
Yeah. Could you imagine how magical mm-hmm. that would feel? Like, sure, you could make your own wand. Okay, I'm impressed. You made your own athame, but have you ever cast your own bell? I don't think so. Right. Okay. So this is this is a thought. I feel like we should do a test one though, so that if if we mess it up <laughs> on the hour of my birthday, we don't have to wait a whole other year to do it again. Um, so maybe we should do a, a test one. And yeah. Then, and then we'll go. I love that. Yeah. I, okay. I support it. Let's do it. That sounds like a fun weekend to me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all I have for the magical bell. I, and by all you have, you mean everything, a whole research thesis on bells. That was amazing. <laughs> did I ring your bell? You did. Was I clear as a bell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope I'm the bell of the ball. There's so many <laughs> uh, silly little statements I could make here. But... You, you were a dead ringer for a bell historian, <gasps> I think. Okay. Yeah, we could keep it going. Let's let's spare the the people. <laughs> so we're gonna jump then into in bulk, and we're gonna start with the water, the history, the personal personal connections. So um, first with history, just base level history. In bulk started as an Irish fire festival, um, celebrating that midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, and celebrating breed, also sometimes called. Brigid, also sometimes called Brigid, depending on who you are and where you're from. Um, and it starts February 1st and ends February 2nd. But we'll put a pin in that because uh, I know Oak has some some thoughts as we go. Um, so and then who was Breed? So a few theories exist about how the Christian saint Brigid um, came to be intentionally or unintentionally associated with the pagan goddess Breed. So um there is the belief that there was intentional conversion of pagans. We saw that before when we talked about Yule. Um, you know, hey, how do we get pagans to come into the church and how do we assimilate their beliefs? And then there's also the belief that the St. Bridget was an actual real person. Um, and it depends. Some people say there is proof of this. Some people say there actually isn't proof of this. Um, but that she was someone who opened a church herself um, and that she was a real person whose history became intertwined with the goddess Bridget. Um, so it kind of depends on where you believe that research lies. Um, but I do think there's too many similarities there that I do think even if it was a real person, some of that history has just become um, intertwined with um, the goddess. And there is actually a creator out there who has a belief that um, this was intentional, that the goddess Bridget, as her, uh, as Breed's kind of was dying out as a pagan goddess because of the conversion to Christianity, that how does you, how does she keep her story alive? She infiltrates the I church and becomes part of their uh, belief system. Um, it's a it's a cool theory. Obviously, no proof to that, but it's a cool theory. I, I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. I support it. Very American gods. Yes. Very like, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, and then where did imbolc come from? So the Irish word actually means in the belly. Um, and this is a time, this is actually during lambing season when lambs are being born. So they are in the belly of their mothers. Um, but you can also take that meaning a little further as in to mean in the growing stages. So your year is in the growing stages. Um, and then there are other names for imbolc. Um, so all of those names are really associated with light spark, um, really igniting your way into the year, igniting your intentions. So you also hear it called candle mass. You'll also hear very different pronunciations of M. I only know M bulk 
but there's like Imbolc and yeah. what's the other one? So um, there's Imbolc and then there's Imbolg, like with a kind right. of G. Yeah. 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 I just want us to say like, happy lambing season to you. Right. Doesn't that have a nice ring to it? Yeah. And that's that's why lambs are associated with Imbolc is just because like yeah. this is when the lamb babies are being born. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what is actually being celebrated during this time? So, yes, this was a celebration of breed, um, but it was also in, in different sects of Wicca and different sects of paganism. Um, this is also the celebration of bringing back the light, i.e. bringing back the god um, into the year as the nights start to become more um, a little longer. We're not going to bed quite as early. The lights aren't getting dark quite as early. And then it's also related to fertility. So related to the womb, pregnancy, um, kind of that home and hearth, the planting of seeds for your year, the setting of intentions. Um, And then personally, pre-Wicca, New Year's lights and kind of the carryover of holiday lights, you know, when people don't put their lights away, you know, right after the holidays. um, (laughs) We judge them. We judge them. Right. right? Well, I didn't because I think they're beautiful. I wish we would just leave like the pretty lights up all year long and not judge people for that. I think it's lovely. Um, And then we would almost always when I was younger and the night would happen so early, we would light candles like every night because um, my mom was very much a waste, not want night person. So we were not keeping all the lights on for hours at a time. Um, So we would light candles. So I, I very much like remember like walking into rooms where like the only light in there was like candlelight oh and it gosh. just being like a really sounds, beautiful time. Yeah. yeah I Bring l- that back. It. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then we would kind of, that would taper off as we would get kind of closer to that May 1st time as the evening started to taper back. So that whole time period when there really is not a lot going on, there's not a ton of holidays being celebrated at this time. Like there's nothing to really look forward to. There's just this beautiful like tranquility and the peace of light and darkness or light in a time when um, things are a little darker, a little drearier. And now I kind of recognize that symbolism. And Mm -hmm. then I also just try to pull it into this time where like, this is kind of a, the most depressing time of the year for me. Like mm. the sun's out less. It's chilly. I'm not a chilly person. Um, <laughs> things are not green and flourishing and beautiful. Things are very like dry and bleh during this time. So um, I use this time instead to try to find like sparks of fun and happiness in this more dreary time. So literally trying to find things that are fun during this time just to keep that energy alive. It's the start of the year. We're supposed to feel very like energized and setting Mm -hmm. our intentions. But this is for me, the opposite of that time. Um, So I really have to like be intentional about like finding joy in this like more or less joyless time for me. Oh, (laughs) that sounds terrible. It does sound terrible, (laughs) but I've always felt this way. Like everyone's like, oh, start of the year. And I'm like, oh, I just want to wrap up in a blanket and go to sleep. Listen, you can get your heggy on all day. Um, Yeah. So I actually don't feel that way. This is like, I feel like a good start of Mm -hmm. um, the year. Actually, I had this, heard this really interesting theory uh, about, Based on when you were born, like what your rising sign is, you have in a year, you have your own personal seasons. So because I was, you know, born in December um, and my rising sign is in, you know, 
October, November, like this time is representing my personal spring. So maybe this time is representing your personal winter. I'll have to do the calculations there, but okay. yeah, I, I don't know. I just, that just came to me, but um, yeah, maybe. So, you know, what I think is really interesting is like the cross quarter day and that term, I would always hear that when I first started practicing Wicca specifically, uh, witchcraft, and you would hear cross quarter day and then fire festivals, right? And so what's mm-hmm. interesting to me is that I always thought the cross quarter days kind of made up the X if we're looking at Yule being at the top of kind of the circle. Um, yeah. But it's actually not. It's literally the little plus sign that makes, I just hit the mic like that. Is that good? <laughs> um, that makes the cross, right? So um, is is the solstices and the equinoxes. So yeah, so this is literally like a little X on top of that plus sign. And this is one of the fire festivals, right? Right. And um, mm-hmm. so I always thought that like the cross quarter days and fire festivals were different because people are kind of referencing that. Did you ever mm-hmm. reconcile those ideas? Um, I did not because I, I don't subscribe to this kind of time, like cross quarter. And I, I struggle with that, like spatial awareness and time awareness like that. So they would say cross quarter days. And I was like, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's in bulk. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So cross- I don't like commit it to memory. Cross quarter days and Celtic fire festivals, BT dubs, all the Sabbaths that are not solstices or equinoxes are Celtic fire festivals. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. And there is, of course, as you said, it's falling between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Um, and like you said, uh, we often will acknowledge that that Celtic festival happened between February 1st and then ends on February 2nd. But the Gregorian calendar wasn't widely used potentially in that time when these are being practiced. So another way to think about the timing of this would be to look at uh, astrological points. And this is something that, you know, we just covered Heron Michelle's um, book and, and she talks about this, I think like Evo Dominguez talks about this, and this isn't like an original thought necessarily, but, but this is another way of thinking about the Sabbaths, which is, uh, in bulk being connected to the middle of Aquarius season, where in Aquarius season, the sun mm-hmm. is now in the constellation of Aquarius or the zodiac, zodiac, zodiacal. I love that word, zodiacal. Yeah. Uh, it's in the zodiacal sign of Aquarius. And I guess the consensus is uh, at 13 degrees of Aquarius is when Immolk happens. Um, So that's another way to think about it. This year, that would have been February 2nd, but that range could be from February 1st to February 7th. So, you know, just it's up to you. We're we're just making shit up, right? As we go along. (laughs) The other thing that I want to point out that actually this is, I think, unique to Heron Michelle, she talked about these, she talks about this axis, um, axis of uh, the year. And so right now we're in the Aquarius season and the opposite or complementary zodiacal sign is Leo, right? And so there's this access of often Aquarius is thought to be thought of as thought. <laughs> That's something that an Aquarian would say. Um, mm-hmm. So very in the mind, very thinking about things from a very zoomed out point of view, wanting to take action and impact the 
collective, right? Whereas Leo is also action, but action more in kind of practical, smaller, more centralized community thoughts. Um, and so thinking about this axis as being thoughts and actions is maybe another way of thinking about this time. So this is the thing when I talked about Heron Michelle inspiring me to experience the turning of the wheel in a different way. It mm-hmm. was to create these periods of time in which we're, I'm going to explore the idea of thoughts, which is again, a very Aquarian thing to say. Um, and what does that mean for me? Right. I'll talk a little bit about how I like to practice with, through that lens, because this is a new lens that I've just kind of recently discovered, but yeah, there's a whole astrological implication to the wheel of the year and to this, to the, these kind of Sabbaths. Um, it was the first, uh, Sabbath I ever celebrated before. Hey. Yeah. As like a, just solitary practitioner. I very much had kind of an instant, uh, connection to Bridget. She was maybe the first Celtic goddess that I heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of Irish, English connection. So that's like where the Celts were. So to me, I was like, oh, right. You know, this is a goddess of potentially my ancestors. And that was really right. empowering. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of connection to this holiday. Also big fan of candles. Um, mm. And the other thing is that Bridget is often connected to waterways and right. wells, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe springs by extension. And I have a ton of natural springs around me. We actually have the, like, the highest concentration of springs in the US in like geographical area. Um, right. So I have um, done practices where I go to a spring. Right now, the back of my yard backs up to a river kind of creek. It's a creek. It's not a river. A creek mm-hmm. that is spring fed right? Which is like mm-hmm. waterway plus spring. So mm-hmm. I definitely am um, like this weekend doing some work with that little body of water. So yeah, very personal. I love me some imulk, some imbolg, mm-hmm. some uh, candle mass, what <laughs> have you. Okay, cool. So let's transition into some of these air topic concepts, information, maybe some folklore. Um, just continuing that conversation about Bridie Bridget Brigitte. Um, you know, as you alluded to, of course, there's a lot of connection between pagan customs being, let's just say, integrated into uh, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages specifically, and the canonization, canonization of uh, St. Bridget of Caldere, which I just love saying Caldere, um, was on February 1st, right? And so I think in terms of finding a day that you want to say, is Imolk. Um, you could say February 1st, but you're mm-hmm. potentially also uh, just recognizing a Catholic day. So I don't know. I'm going to make a, I'm again, making my case here for it to be an astrological timing, not February 1st. Um, but uh, so this is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but her shrine, uh, St. Bridget's shrine was attended by 19 nuns. And we know what nuns are. They're ladies who are often thought to be not getting it, right? So there may be virgins. And then so by extension, you could see the connection to the Roman goddess Vesta, right? Vesta was also um, protector of women, of childbirth. And Vesta was an incarnation or a re-envisioning of Hestia, right? By the Greek gods. Um, 
well, by the Romans of the Greek gods. And so I think I can make a connection here that uh, Hestia and Bridget are, are connected. They're soul sisters. I don't know. Solstice sister. Ooh, soul sister, sister. Um, I don't know. It might be a little bit of a stretch, but if you have, if you subscribe to like kind of soft polytheism, where you see all versions of gods being one of the same and having evolved over time, um, then into slightly different versions, then yeah, then I think this narrative could connect if you wanted it to. The other thing I want to connect to Imolk is the Roman festival of Lubricalia. Yeah. So that's just fun to say. Lubricalia. All all of these words are so fun. Lubricalia. Um, Okay. So you say there's nothing fun happening around this time, but what's about to happen in just a week? Come on, Danny. Tell me. Valentine's day. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, Uh, uh, it's one of my favorite yeah. holidays. I, I mean, I love that for you. It's a celebration of love. I do. I do. I love love. I am a hopeless romantic, but um, I don't know. Valentine's Day has always... What? Just, it's in this weird time for me. I don't know. Okay. Am I getting Valentine's chocolates and or candies for all of my employees? Yes. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just don't feel lovey-dovey at this time of the year. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Well, it's okay. That's all right. Uh, in the fifth century, Pope mm, Galeus, Gallius was responsible <laughs> for combining uh, St. Valentine's Day and Lupercalia. So you can definitely, to really kind of get rid of all of those nasty little pagan rituals, so you can definitely make the connection between Lupercalia and Valentine's Day. Perhaps the stretch would be Lupercalia to Imolk. Um, but mm, okay. it is about, you know, it's a very uh, sexy holiday with lots of frivolity and uh, coupling up. Um, you can read, I'll, I'll connect a article about Lubricalia and maybe oh, it's slightly problematic or or maybe through our current modern lens, it was problematic. You know, all those little Valentine's Day cards that mm-hmm. could be maybe calling back to the idea that men would pick women's names out of a hat and be coupled with them for the rest of the festival. Um, mm-hmm. So will you be my Valentine? Didn't have to go to your partner, huh? uh, right. which is fun. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. There, There is this all is kind of happening around the same time. So I'm also big on not only Emilk and all the ways that we celebrate that, but also I'm just a big lover of Valentine's day and I totally decorate for Valentine's day. So if you want to justify having lights up around your house, just make them red or pink and then you can keep them up for Valentine's day. So just need to change all the bulbs for whatever season we're in. (laughs) Or maybe get like the ones that change color for me. Yes. We have a modern time. What what bulbs are you changing? They're LEDs. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. And then jumping into a little bit of lore, we just like lightly dusted on Breed and and who is she? Why was she celebrated? Um, So she is a triple goddess. Now, there is some debate here about whether these are facets of her um, similar to like Hecate or some of these other goddesses that have like a a three face um, or whether these are just different aspects of her personality as opposed to like different time periods in her life. Um, However, she's really associated with like 
everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. She's associated with fire, fertility, midwives, healing, home and hearth, beauty. Like she's doing the most. And that's I mean, why that's she gets a everything. whole holiday. That's not everything. It's not war. It's not death. This is true. It's not famine. She's, yeah. It's all the the happy go forward things. Yeah. She, she's really just all of the good things. Yeah. Um, there, I can't even think of a bad thing that she's associated with. I mean, childbirth sounds terrible. I can't. Well, yeah, but it's like the fertility <laughs> and bringing the things into the world part. So that's really her whole thing. Like she just was so important to this season and coming into um, a time of abundance. And so you have to do, you know, the pre-work for the abundance. And so her whole thing is the pre-work. So um, this whole time period is about celebrating her and all of that work that you're putting in now to get that abundance later. Which is interesting because we often say that this is about the God, you mm-hmm. know, returning as the days grow longer. Um, so, you know, there's lots of ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> that phrase, we, I need to know where that one comes from. I don't think we need to know. I don't think we need I, to know. I, I, I don't think we'd ever use it again if we knew where it. Yes. There's a million ways to skin a, I don't know, what's somebody that we want to skin? What do we want to skin? An apple? That seems less violent. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, that'd yeah. be better. Yeah, let's skin <laughs> an inanimate object that didn't deserve it, Danny. Um. <laughs> Um, and then that, you know, speaking of skinning cat, as we get into activities, uh, <laughs> do not skin cats. That is not an activity of ML. It's not supported. This is no. happy lambing season, right? That's what we're talking about. Yes. Lambs. Yes. Um, but there are some interesting activities that are associated with in bulk that sometimes people don't correlate, especially here in America. So Groundhog Day, this like weird thing that we do every year and everyone's just like cool with it it's like a normal normal thing that weather divination you know that witchcraft that we do as a whole society mm-hmm. um so that's american holiday that actually comes from the pennsylvania dutch who are not actually dutch they're german deutsch deutsch meaning german um so that is from the german t- tradition of seeing if the hedgehog comes out and sees its shadow and it just kind of got adopted into I guess, American mythology, where now we do the same thing with a groundhog to see if spring is coming or if we've got six more weeks of winter. And this is just a weird form of national witchcraft Mm -hmm. that we do. And everyone's cool with it. And I don't know. I feel like maybe we should take that same energy into some of the other holidays. Um, (laughs) uh, So then you can also take a hike. So this would be a good time. Just, you know, go out with your pets, go take a hike and start looking for those early signs of spring. I think that's a little easier to do here in Florida than maybe in other places that are like covered in snow, Mm -hmm. but you can go do that. You can plant some seeds and watch them grow. Um, Again, make sure you're planting the right kinds of seeds for your zone and all of that. You'll be very disappointed when they don't sprout timely. Um, You can have a bonfire on a cold night. What a great way to bring the light back into the year than to pick an unusually cold night and spark up a bonfire. You can make a summer pot, uh, sorry, a simmer pot. Um, I saw someone do this recently and it was such a good idea. So they have sunflower plants, right? And they don't always use all the sunflower seeds because you get a gajillion sunflower seeds. And so they freeze the heads of the sunflowers to pull them out specifically during this time. And they put it in their simmer pot and it's beautiful. 
it's so beautiful to see the full sunflower in there with all the other things that they put in there to make their house smell good. Okay, wait. So the whole sunflower itself, not just the seeds. The head. The whole the sunflower. The whole head. Okay. Head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, also, it's so beautiful. Danny loves a summer pot. <laughs> I do. Might be a little it's- bit biased. <laughs> I do. I I personally think that one of the burners on your stove should just be dedicated to a simmer pot and you should just keep beautiful things in there all year long, smelling delicious. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. You can also make candles, again, bringing the light into the year. Um, Some people do uh, a Bridget's a Breed's cloth, which is um, putting that cloth outside on between February 1st and February 2nd to absorb the dew and then using that cloth for um, ailments. So when people have headaches, when people have, you know, minor contusions and things, placing that cloth over that person or the wound to help heal them. Um, and of course you, and you put your intention into it and those things. Um, you, I also saw something really interesting recently where someone would paint a sigil and alcohol like on a piece of um, paper with something underneath Mm -hmm. and then they would ignite it they would light the sigil yeah as like part of their ritual and i was like that actually looks amazing that is so cool because it would when it initially sparks it sparks the sigil like Mm. perfectly and then it you know burns the whole thing Um, but this is where i make an asterisk that whenever you are doing something dangerous like this with fire please have everything that you need to put that out quickly and efficiently. Do not burn your house okay. down, which is. So I am just so frustrated. Every time I listen to a podcast that talks about doing anything witchy that is potentially dangerous, we actually have to feel the need to tell people these things. Mm-hmm. I think, Danny, let's just let them, let them go. If they're going to burn the damn <laughs> houses down, then maybe that's what they need in their lives. You know, if we have to tell you to be careful, like then you're not on the right podcast. I don't know. I don't know. I, I saw it and immediately I was like, oh, that's so brilliant. And then I started thinking, I was like, what do they have underneath that to keep that from? Yeah. But, you know, people will see cool things and then they just go do them without another thought. And not know, our audience. You, our audience yeah. is too smart. They know how to not burn themselves down to the Not light their hair on fire or the curtains. Yes. yes. All of these things. Yes. I am... What am I talking about? Sorry, I lost my place. Uh, <laughs> so activities that you know about oh, for okay. this festival. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> um, sorry, I was just in my little Aquarian world thinking about the world's mm-hmm. greater problems. Um, this time of year is often referred to as the light half of the year, right? We have gone past the shortening of the days and now we're starting to have elongated days. And so thinking about not only that aspect, but also the aspect of Aquarius, uh, right? That's what we're, that's the, the uh, wave we are riding in the cosmos. Some ways that you could be inspired by celebrating it would be connected to creativity, expression, uh, courage, leadership, um, you know, there's going to be a Aquarius new moon, right? And then a Leo full moon, right? So that's a great time to talk about leadership and courage and, and that kind of action. So I would say those types of things. Um, also, this is a holiday of lactation. <laughs> so, you know, Northern Europe, in the Middle Ages, often where this is like kind of 
being pulled from. Um, you know, all the grains have been harvested. And really, this is the time, as you said, where the lambs are starting to be born. And along with the lambs comes the milk. So, you know, do some cheese if you can. If you can't, maybe do some cashew cheese. But yeah, I would I would really focus on cheesing it up. And not lactating to be, I mean, unless that's something that you do and you love, then lactate away. Yeah. Um, Share it with your friends. Get weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, that's like a thing right now that oh, people is it? are doing. Yes, people are now selling breast milk to people to drink bre- because now they're saying there's all of these benefits for not infants and yeah, toddlers yeah, with human it. breast milk. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think it's weirder that we drink cow's breast milk and we're like, ooh, people breast milk. That's yes. Weird. Uh, yes. But <laughs> I will drink a cow's. I'll drink a camel's. I'll drink Danny's. I don't care. <laughs> give it give it to me all. Listen, it was very sweet. Okay. It was oh. very sweet and lovely. So. I love that. That is not too much information. That is just (laughs) enough information. Um, We're transitioning now into kind of talking about the earth aspects of this topic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the difference between, especially when we're talking about the Sabbath celebrations, maybe the difference we're going to draw between fire activities and earth practices is fire things are things you could do ways to be inspired to take action during this time, but maybe we will keep for the earth topic, just practical advice or things we have actually done uh, as ways of celebrating. Um, yeah, this, uh, the Sabbath. So what are you doing and what good advice do you have, Danny? So uh, remember that really fun time that you and I made at Bridget's Cross? No, I'm trying to block it out. It was the most frustrating craft I've ever done in my life, including when I was a child and had no manual dexterity. I I really was like I'm an idiot. I don't am I an idiot? Why is this so hard? Um <laughs> yeah, so listen, I have seen other people do it so nicely in videos and they make it look so simple. And then yep, Oak and I tried for I want to say we were like upwards of an hour just trying to get the original square. Just <laughs> Well, there had been drinking. I'm going to say that. Right. Mm-hmm. A little bit of imbibement doesn't make a uh, manual, you know, task easier. But I think it was also the material. You know, it wasn't us. Right. It, it was it. It was, it was their softened problem. Softened wood. Yeah. Like it was softened wood. But for some reason, I, I just could not get it to stay together so I could add any additional yeah. pieces. It just – Had it been nice. like straw or like palm fronds or like, you know – tongues of willow, whatever, you know, if it had been any of these things, I think we would have succeeded. I think we, it was a material. It wasn't us. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So we should maybe try again. We're going to try again. I think so. Maybe different materials. Try that out. Um, I actually saw a really cute video. Listen, I like to get all of my resources, right? I like to read the books. I like to read the articles. I like to, um, but I also do a little, a little TikTok every now and then, um, mostly because I like to see what, what, information the youths are getting right now. Um, and so one of the cute things that I found on TikTok it, by Hebejoy, H-E-B-E-J-O-Y, um, is that they take a bun pan and they put in all the associations with this time. So it's like water. It's a little bit of milk. It's mm-hmm. uh, some rosemary. There are these teeny tiny pine cones they put in there. Um, there are some like different kinds of, uh, there's sunflower petals in there and stuff. And then they freeze it. And then they take it outside. They slide it out of the bump pan. It's this nice, pretty frozen thing. And then they put a candle in the center and then it melts, you know, as in melting away the winter nice. and, and leaves all these nice. It was so beautiful. And I was like, oh, wow, I feel inspired. 
that that sparks joy. I'm yeah. going to go do that. So I think I'm going to try that next because that was really nice. And then spring cleaning. A lot of people at this time of year will do their mass purge of their house and, and mm-hmm. clean up. So I do that around Yule. That's when I'm, I'm opening drawers and I, we're cleaning out everything. We're donating stuff, like all of that. This time is for me is going through all the things that don't typically get done very often. So those things like, um, what is it called when you like clean your washing machine? Like debridement sounds like the wrong word. I mean, yeah. Debridement of debridement. Ah, right. Yeah. 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 Of your washing machine, your dishwasher, um, making sure you're cleaning out like your vents. When was the last time you changed your air filter? Like all of those kind of things so that we go into the new year, happy, healthy, all of those good things. Um, yeah, I don't know. Are- I don't know why spring cleaning turned into like throwing things away. What happened to the actual cleaning part? Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's the order I do these things in. But I know a lot of people don't do that during you know Yule time, and said they're they're like basking in the bounty of all of their. But I I need I need everything to be gone. I can't bring more things into my space without like making sure everything else is cleaned up first. So this time of year, I'm really just doing all of those extraneous things that I was like, oh, I probably should have t- taken a look at that. Mm-hmm. But I got busy with other stuff. So now I'm doing all of the things that like we haven't checked on in a while. Yeah. Well, we've also, we made candles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did. Really easy to make candles with the wax that looks like honeycomb sheets, Mm -hmm. just rolling Mm -hmm. those little puppies up. You can do all kinds of great things. You can put herbs in there or sigils or or what have you. Uh, Word to the wise, just, you know, be careful if you're going to be putting any type of essential oil or cinnamon. I don't know. Just don't put cinnamon on candles Uh, because, you know, it makes it pretty flammable and we trust you all to not blow things up but i will say that it is surprisingly flammable sometimes depending on what oil you use so so definitely check that out or give it a little test first what i love you know <laughs> i love the image of a crown of candles which is very like candle miss you know that's just like the picture of this sabbat but who the fuck is doing that who is putting a crown of flames on their head and potentially getting wax in their hair? I'm I'm thinking of like someone with no hair. Okay. I would feel a lot more confident if I did not have a very flammable source on my crown. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like a tinfoil <laughs> hat and then that on top. That's not cute. That's not stylized. But yeah, I would never do these kinds of things. I don't know. It looks great, though. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, things that I do like to do uh, is I light every candle that I own and bring the light into the world. And uh, it's also a way of me kind of similar to Danny's book stack. It's like a way of me inventorying all of the candles. So I keep myself uh, aware of the amount that I currently own and how I don't need to buy anymore. So it's, there's a practical application for this, but I light all of the candles and this is, I'm outside by the way. And, um, 
And then I take the wax from every candle and drip it on a page of my book of shadows and create this kind of like, you know, I have to cover the rest of the book because it turns into a total mess, by the way. But, uh, sure. but yeah. yeah, it turns into a really beautiful, I'll show you it after this. Um, okay. It turns into this really kind of beautiful collaged uh, treatment. Last time I did it, a moth flew into it. Wasn't cute, oh. but I was like, okay, well. I guess you're just going to stay there then, buddy. But what yeah. A, what a nice sacrifice. Yeah, right? <laughs> like a like a moth to the flame or the wax. Literally, um, literally yeah. So I think, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do around this time that all have, you know, uh, associations. Usually it's like bringing the light into the world, you know, be grateful that things reproduce and, uh, you know, maybe eat some cheese if that's an option for you. Uh, be stoked that it's going to not be as cold as it was if you're mm -hmm. in the Northern hemisphere. Um, but I would say, you know, you know, I'm so resistant to talking about Sabbaths because I don't want to talk about food associations. So I just want to use this time to say, nobody told me to, take my book of shadows and drip wax on it. And I mm -hmm. feel very good about that. I think that we should always be looking to be inspired by other witches, but then also find unique ways for us to express our own uh, connection with this time. So mm -hmm. get weird and don't do any of the shit that we said to do. Yes. Yeah. Do like whatever it is that you want to do and, um, you know, take pride in being unique and special because you are. Yeah. And with that, thank you for joining <laughs> us as we covered part two of our Eight Tools and Sabbaths series. Yeah, I had fun. I had fun. Mm -hmm. This is going well. And, and and we did it in like maybe record time. I mean, we'll see. I don't editing, think so. But... Yeah, I don't think so. But, um, but we did it, you know. Um, all right. Well, what should the pagans know, Danny? So please join us next episode where we are on our next interview with another beloved guest. Um, and then also, have you checked our Facebook page yet? Have you checked it out yet? Um, because you can find us there at Two Real Witches Podcasts on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook by the same name. Um, it's where we have some conversations. It's also where we draw some inspirations for our next books. That way Oak doesn't pick another textbook <laughs> for us um so <laughs> make sure you engage in that conversation all right well remember that having real wins and real losses real learnings and real teachings is to be a real witch so from two real witches blessed, blessed be and, and be well. well bye okay bye